We may uh, have a Christian heritage in this country, and the Church of England may be established by law, but I think that there's no doubt that Britain today is a post-Christian society. Yes, the trappings of that heritage are all around us, not least the magnificent building that we meet in. And yes, we benefit hugely from the values and institutions that have grown up out of uh, Christianity in uh, Western Europe and in this country. But the prominent worldview of British society is secular, not Christian. And there is little or no regard for the Bible and its testimony about Jesus in our schools and universities. God's word, it made a perfect beginning. Mankind spoiled God's world by sinning. I know that the story will end in God's glory, but at present, the other side's winning. It can seem like that, can't it? That the other side's winning. Well, it was no different in Elijah's day. As we saw last week, although politically the situation in Israel seemed okay, spiritually and morally, the nation of Israel was in an utter mess. King Ahab, the king of Israel, promoted the the worship of Baal and Asherah with all the idolatry, sexual chaos, and the devaluing of human life that went along with it. The word of the, the, the word of the God of uh, Israel, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, was disregarded. So what does God do? Well, God confronts Ahab with the truth of his powerful word. You see it there in chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead say to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, this is the first time Elijah is mentioned, and straight away the gauntlet is being thrown down. In fact, Elijah's very name means, my God is Yahweh, the Lord. Now, as we look at the coming chapters, we learn much about Elijah. He, he was a key Old Testament prophet. Actually, almost we can say he was the founding father of all the other prophets like Amos and Hosea and Isaiah that came after him and whose writings we have recorded for us in the Bible. Elijah was to the prophets as Moses was to the law. And so when Jesus was transfigured before his disciples, it was these two great figures Moses and Elijah, who appeared with him. Elijah was an extraordinary man. We shall see next week how he took on 450 prophets of Baal single-handed. We shall read how he ran 17 miles in the torrential rain ahead of Ahab's chariot. Elijah was an extraordinary, powerful figure. But in the letter of James, we're told that that Elijah was a man like us. Actually, at the end of the day, there was nothing unique or special about him. 
And if we ever get to uh, chapter 19, we'll see how depressed, actually, and frightened Elijah became. But the reason why these chapters have been recorded for us is not to teach us about Elijah, but about the God of Elijah. These chapters are God's word to us that we might trust him and remain faithful to him and his word in our generation in the face of apostasy, opposition, godlessness, and yes, discouragement. Chapter 17 is made up of three incidents which build on one another and they give us powerful reasons to trust in God and his word. Three powerful reasons. The first one is this. It comes from verses 1 to 6. Trust in God and obey his word because God will provide for his faithful people. Now, God's judgment has come upon Israel. Just as God had promised when he gave uh, Israel uh, the, the law, their disobedience has resulted in punishment. The land of milk and honey would experience a severe drought. And of course, as an Israelite, actually, this, um, this punishment actually also affected Elijah. Uh, we're not uh, told much about Elijah's background, how he earned his uh, daily crust, but undoubtedly his hometown in Gilead was badly affected. Friends, actually, that is, that is generally true of, of God's uh, judgment. We, we've looked, known that actually from Romans 1 that God has handed um, this world over to people's desires. And actually, what that means is that although on the final day of judgment, perfect justice will be meted out, and that each man and woman will get exactly what his or her sins deserve. But actually, in this present age, in this fallen age, it's not just the guilty who suffer, suffer, the innocent suffer as well. However, in the midst of this severe drought, God does provide for Elijah. Verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and and hide in the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have instructed the ravens to supply you with food there. And as Elijah obeys God's word, God provides him with all that he needs to survive. And we see this continuing throughout the chapter. Things get progressively worse, but in it all, God continues to provide for his faithful servant. Now, friends, we haven't got a clue what lies ahead of us in the coming months. We don't know, as a church, whether we will experience great blessings at the hand of God or whether we will have to endure God's discipline. Certainly, as we look at our nation and the spiritual compromise going in so much of our national church's life, the latter is not beyond the bounds of imagination. However, even if we have to go through very tough times, 
if we seek the Lord and walk faithfully before him, obeying his word, we can be confident that God will provide for us. We can trust him. Trust in God and obey his word because he will provide for his faithful people. But as the story goes on to show, in verses 7 to 16, that care is not just for those from a kind of Christian heritage and background. Actually, a Gentile woman who takes God at his word and trusts him also experienced the same blessings as Elijah. And so second, trust in God and obey his word, whoever you are, because God has no favorites. So there is Elijah in the Kerith Ravine biding his time. What he did whilst he waited, we're not told. (laughs) But he would have been acutely aware how the brook was steadily drying up. As we have seen, Elijah is not unaffected by the judgment that has come on his people. But yet again, God provides for him in it. Now, as so often it seems the case, it's only at the 11th hour, (laughs) once the brook has finally dried up, that God intervenes and his word comes to Elijah. And what extraordinary word it is, verse 9. The Lord says to Elijah, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Now, hopefully coming on the screen now is a a map of um, uh, Zarephath. So uh, you can see where he came from. Zarephath was outside Israel. It was 13 miles north of Tyre in the land of Sidon. And if you were here last week, you would have known that's where Jezebel came from. This is the very epicenter of Baal worship. So God tells Elijah to go to the center of idol worship, where a widow, someone who is disadvantaged and hard up, will provide him with food. Seems rather extraordinary word, doesn't it? But Elijah trusts God, he obeys his word, he heads off. And as he approaches the town, thank you very much, we go to the next, uh, get back to where we were, uh, he um, sees a woman gathering sticks. And he asked her for some refreshments. And it becomes immediately clear to Elijah that this is the woman that has, God has provided to care for him. Again, we're not told how. But it appears that this woman is a believer in some way in, in, in Yahweh, the God of Israel, because verse 12, she says to Elijah, as surely as the Lord your God lives. Perhaps you'd heard about Elijah's visit to the king and his announcement of the drought. But whatever the cause, she recognizes that the God of Israel is a living reality and that Elijah is his prophet. But at this stage, although Yahweh may be Elijah's God, she doesn't declare Yahweh to be her God. She tells Elijah about her plight. She's only got enough flour and oil for one more meal. And then comes the great test. This woman asserts that the God of Israel is a living God. 
And here is the prophet of the one true God telling her to give the last of her food to him. Because God has made a promise. Verse 14. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Friends, what would you do in that situation? (laughs) Well, this woman demonstrates actually the reality of her faith by taking Elijah at his word. She believes the word of God. She acts on the word of God, and therefore she receives the blessing of God. She and her son and Elijah have enough food for the rest of the drought. Now, do you see what God is doing here? What he's showing us? Ahab and Israel, who are officially God's people, actually experience the judgment of God because they have disobeyed him. Whereas this woman who is outside of the covenant enjoys the same blessing and protection as God's faithful prophet. And this is the point that Jesus makes in his sermon at Nazareth. See, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus refers to this incident. And he makes the point that it is often those who have enjoyed spiritual privileges who despise them because they take them for granted. So those of us who call ourselves Christian, we must be kind of very careful not to presume on God's grace. God shows no favoritism. And as has been said, the only true sign, actually, of past conversion is present convertedness. It's not enough to have been born into a Christian family and attend a Christian church. We must have a Christian faith. And a Christian faith is one where we are daily trusting God, taking God at his word, and acting upon it. But if there are any of us here who think, I could, I could never experience the blessing and favor of God. I could never come under God's protection and blessing given my background and the things I have done. Well, think about this widow. God shows no favoritism and he is rich in mercy. He's not actually impressed by CVs or what schools we did or did not go to. He doesn't discriminate on the basis of people's uh, color or culture and religious background. No, he calls on all people everywhere to believe the good news about Jesus and to ever recognizes Jesus as God's chosen king and savior and trusts in him, well, they will experience God's forgiveness and favor and, and uh, friendship. It is wonderful. Isn't it lovely that this, this, this widow in Zarephath receives the same provision as God's faithful prophet? And then uh, finally, trust in God and obey his word even when all hope is gone and you can't understand 
what God is doing. This is the, kind of the last bit, verses 17 to 24. See, actually, this chapter is a chapter of mighty uh, miracles, three of them, in fact. But it's also a chapter of great suffering. Here is this uh, family experience, God's gracious provision for their daily needs. I can imagine just the, the relief as each day she goes to her, uh, her jar of flour and her jug of oil and sees that there's enough just to make bread for another day. <laughs> but one day, her son gets poorly. And each day he gets worse and worse. And there's nothing that she can do about it. And eventually he dies. And true to life, the woman in her anguish cries out to Elijah. Look at verse 18. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? I imagine that during the long nights, this woman had discovered much about Elijah. She had learned about Elijah's ministry, that it was to pronounce God's judgment on the sin of Ahab and Israel. Elijah had said there'd be no rain or, or dew for a few years, uh, and there hadn't been. So in her grief, this woman had put two and two together and got five. See, there's no indication at all that her son's death was a result of her sin. But that's the sort of thought that people often torture themselves with when tragedy suddenly hits them. They try and find a reason for it. And if they're spiritually sensitive, they often put it down to their sin. I must have done something wrong. Elijah, in his grief, takes the boy in his arms and cries out to God. The situation is hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. Never before had God brought someone back to life. Nevertheless, Elijah prayed the impossible. And God, who is able to bring hope, even when all hope has gone, brings the boy back to life. Now, this might be the first recorded bringing back to life in the Bible. But for those of us who live this side of Jesus' death and resurrection, we know that this is the heart of God's ministry. To bring the dead to life. Not temporarily, as in the case of this boy. He would have died again. But actually permanently. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So for those of us who despair in ever seeing friends and relatives becoming Christians, actually this last incident should spur us on to keep praying. God is able to bring the dead to life. He has the ability and power to bring hope where there is no hope. The impressive thing about Elijah is that the moment this woman's son died, he took the matter to the Lord. He didn't understand what was going on either. He was as perplexed and distraught as the mother, but his first instinct was to take the situation to God in prayer. Let me finish with a, a final application. 
If our trust is in God and we're walking with him in obedience to his word, we will be vindicated. The the chapter climaxes with the woman declaring, verse 24, Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Elijah was vindicated. (laughs) The Lord Jesus was vindicated as God raised him from the dead. And actually we will be vindicated. We may have to face many trials as Christians. We may actually find that we're the only person in our home or school who's a Christian. We know nobody in our class. We may find one day that we're part of a church or a fellowship that is spiritually losing the plot. We may find ourselves isolated. Some of us already feel that way. But what this chapter shows is that if we are walking faithfully before God, trusting him and obeying his word, that God will provide for us, yes, and we will be vindicated. That vindication is likely to come to us in some extent even in this life. certainly did here for Elijah. And it will certainly come in the next life. When we meet the Lord Jesus, and he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy your master's happiness. Amen.